Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. of a sermon series on the gospel according to Pinocchio. Why that? Because there's a new movie on um, Disney+. Plus. Also, there's going to be two more movies made between now and December on the story of Pinocchio. Um, it's not my favorite. Just so y'all know, like it's not my favorite Disney movie. I, I don't think it's anybody's really favorite Disney movie unless like you were like born that year maybe. I mean, so don't, don't think I'm trying to sell you Pinocchio. That's not what I'm doing. I'm selling you Jesus. <laughs> um, but... I do think it's an it's a interesting thing that so many movies are being made about Pinocchio right now. I think it is something to be said about what Pinocchio is, what the story is saying, and what that says about us. Okay? So that's why we are doing this, not because I love it. Um, don't judge me for liking, for, don't think that I like Pinocchio more than I should. All right, here's our scripture for today. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. Remember that? That's something that came off of the scripture from last week. So he, he told them a parable, a parable. Then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the wealth that will belong to me. And so he divided his assets between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to the distant region, and there he squandered his wealth in, in, desol- in desolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout the region, and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that region who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am, dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. And so he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion, and he ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. And then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. 
and get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the slaves and asked, what's going on? And he replied, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he's, he, has got back, he, has him, he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I've been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came back, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you killed the the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. And he was lost, but has now been found. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. The beauty of a really good parable, in the case of the prodigal son, perhaps the most beloved parable of all time, is that it, like the story of Pinocchio or anything really from Disney, meets generations of listeners wherever they are, whether in first century Palestine or in in fourth century Rome or in sixth century Geneva or in 21st century DC metro area, it meets us where we are. Everyone has a weird family, right? Everyone has at least once in their life thought about running away running away from your job, running away from your family, running away from home as a teenager, whenever. The parable of the prodigal son, like the story of Pinocchio, stays young, no matter how old it is, giving all kinds of people all kinds of ways to make the story their own. And we have made it our own. The problem, though, with a really good parable, much like the problem with the stringed, a stringed wooden puppet, especially one as beloved as this one, this parable, is that it can, it can become a bit limp and tangled up <laughs> after too much handling. That's how you know you don't have a live parable anymore or a live puppet anymore, capable of leaping from your arms and leading you out to where you did not mean to go. All that's left of the parable is this tangled puppet that's as captive to you as, or to us as we are to our culture. In the 21st century DC metro area, it is nothing remarkable at all for a young man deciding to leave his father's home, right? Where he will never be anything but the baby brother at home, but he's going to go seek fortune out in the world. For us, That is nothing unusual. This is so American that it's hard to remember this boy is not from Southern Illinois or the buckle of Texas, whoever that boy is, trekking his way across the country to the capital, right? The capital city to get that job. 
This rugged individual is like a national icon for us. Maybe you are that rugged individual. Illinois, right? Mm -hmm. The younger son did what young men do, what young men are born to do, right? He, he may have hurt his father in the process, but his, his father understood since he probably did the same thing himself at one point in time, trekking across the country to take that, that prize job to go find who he is. The difference was that the father made good and the son did not. By failing at his individual, individuation, individualization project, this like, I gotta go find myself project, the son fell short of this American ideal. But all was not lost. In place of worldly success, he won wisdom in this story, returning home to beg his father's forgiveness, which his father gave him before he even asked for it. That's the story. The boy who was lost to his father was found. The son who was dead came back to life. And though he, he still had some things to work out with his elder brother, he was restored to his family and to his father's love. And sadder, yes, but wiser for all that he had brought upon himself. This is one way we can tell this parable. And told in this way, the parable is indeed the parable of the prodigal son, as it's been told, a story about the vastness of the father's love available to the squanderer even, the squanderer son who returns home with a true repentance in his heart. And the way most Christians tell this story is this. It, it's about our individual relationship with God. When we decide to go home and we finally say, sorry, God, sorry, Daddy, we... We too can be sure that the banquet awaits for us. That's the way we tell the story. The improbable feast given in our honor by a father whose divine grace exceeds all human, human reason. And it's a perfectly good way to tell the story. That's basically Disney's Pinocchio. It is also, I think, a story uniquely told by Christians in America. A story for the majority of us who grew up in church of some kind, whether we were Catholic or evangelical or mainline Protestant, whatever, the story of us who want Jesus to be like us. But if we want to be more like Jesus instead, then it is worth wondering what this story might have meant to a Middle Eastern audience, hearing it from a Middle Eastern storyteller in the middle of the first century. What does Jesus know about the dynamics of this story that we do not know? Because he, like, like Disney rewriting Pinocchio from its humble, darker Italian origins, right? Jesus, does Jesus, what does Jesus know that we don't know because he told it in a completely different world than we live in. His story was largely agrarian for one thing, right? Chances are that nine out of 10 of Jesus's listeners were rural farmers, like the family in the parable. Their land was their livelihood. They received it in trust from their ancestors and they held it in trust for their children for, and then for their children that would follow. There was no 
courthouse where they could record their claims to it. (laughs) Those claims were kept in the memory of the community where honor was everything. Break faith with the community or lose its respect and your property lines might be forgotten just like that. In this world, a great deal depended on being and having good neighbors too. When you needed help getting your crops in before the rain came or or raising a barn or having a baby or digging a grave, whatever it may be, you counted on the neighbors that were around you the same way they counted on you. You traded a dozen of your chickens for one of their lambs. You invited them to your parties and they invited you to their parties. If things worked out the way they were supposed to work out, then your children married their children. Strengthening the kinship bonds between clans and and linking your families, these family farms, in a patchwork, like a patchwork quilt, almost. In this world, an individual had little meaning apart from his or her family. Identity was conferred in the plural, not the singular, ever. It's It's possible that because of where you are from, that you understand that whole family thing. Maybe. The family name, the family history, the family standing in the community. That might feel a little bit like home for you. But there are other things about Jesus' Middle Eastern world or the poor Italian landscape out of which Collodi writes, the original Pinocchio, that we have no reference for. Such as the huge honor owed the patriarch of a clan and the elaborate code for keeping that honor in place. Patriarchs do not run. They do not run from their duties. They do not run in general. (laughs) They walk slowly and methodically. Patriarchs did not leave their places at the heads of their tables when, when guests were present. Patriarchs did not plead with their children. They told their children what to do. Told in this kind of culture, Much like the culture in which Collodi wrote the original Pinocchio, today's parable becomes becomes more of the parable of a dysfunctional family. A story about a weak patriarch with an absentee wife, two rebellious sons who seems unable to control, who is willing to sacrifice his honor to keep his community together, his family together, or the story is a sad and lonely woodworker still overcome by the grief of losing his wife and his son, so much so that he he stops even selling what he makes anymore and stops making a livelihood and contributing to the community, just hoarding his clock creations to himself, locked in a world of grief and, and regret, isolated from the community he once was such a vital part of. In Jesus's Middle Eastern landscape or Collodi's poor Italian village, parables like these, the prodigal son and, and Pinocchio aren't They're not repentance stories after all. They're reunion stories. They're about the high cost of reconciliation in which individual worth and identity and rightness all go down to the dust so that those as good as dead in their division may may live together in peace again. And maybe, just maybe, this is the story that American Christianity needs more than anything else. You remember the story, but you, not, you might not remember it this way. When the younger son asks for his share of the family property, 
He deals his father like a double blow. This isn't just a rebellious son. He deals his father a double blow. He not only means to break up the estate, he also means to leave his father, who counts on both sons to care for him in his old age. If there is a mother upstairs somewhere listening from behind her bedroom door, then she gets clobbered too. When her, when her husband dies, everything she has goes straight to her sons. Losing one of them is like losing a kidney. She needs at least two to ensure her survival in this world. But the younger son is not thinking of his mother, his father, his family's honor, or his village. He is thinking about himself, what he needs, what he wants, who he hopes he may turn out to be. Staying in relationship, not high on that priority list. Being his own person is high on that priority list. Getting out of town to find himself is high on his priority list. Whatever his reasons, he asks for his share of the family property and his father responds to, to the double blow with a, a double turning of the cheek, it seems. He not only divides his property between his sons, though he is still very much alive, he also allows his, his younger son to sell his share of it so that the boy can liquidate his assets and take them with him when he goes. And the for sale sign is now up. For, for sale sign is up, not, not for very long apparently, but long enough for everyone in town to see it. What kind of patriarch cannot prevent his son from carving up the family farm? Does the boy have no shame? What is the bag of money compared to land that has fed his ancestors for generations? When people see the father in town now, they do not know whether to shun him or, or feel sorry for him because they can't decide. They, they stop inviting him to their parties anymore. But he does not, he doesn't look like he really is in the mood ever, this father, to even be attending parties anyways. It is as if his son has died. And after a while, people stop talking about, about whose fault it is, even. The father is still a part of the community, and the community protects him. The only way the boy of his is ever going to step foot inside that town is to come back ten times richer. Ten times richer than he left with fabulous presents for every member of his family and enough left over to buy back the farm, maybe. And then, he will, then he, he will have to throw a banquet and invite the whole community because he's got some relationship building to do. Pinocchio, too, is convinced that what his father wants, what his father needs, what his father really sees in him it isn't for him to go to school so that he can one day establish his place in the family and within the community and support his father with dignity until the day of his death. What he, his father needs, what his father wants, what, what his father sees in him, near what the world needs and wants and sees in him, is greatness. He must come home proving his worth, his fame, his success, bringing home the money to prove it. And the problem with puppets is that they will listen to just about anyone 
who tells the story the way they need it to be told. Take a look at this clip. Now turn around, let me get a look at you. Oh, very handsome, very handsome. Oh, 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 here. This town can be very confusing. There are many, many curving streets, so pay attention. And if you get lost, just remember we are two streets down from the fountain. Hmm? I'll come straight home, right after school. I will be right here. School, a noble institution. What would this stupid world be without it? Well, look at that, a wooden boy. Mm. A wooden boy? Look at that, Gideon. It's amazing. Oh, oh, go! Oh, oh, my, my! How clumsy of me. Uh, I am terribly sorry. I do hope you're not injured. Well, well, quite the scholar, I see. A man of letters. I presume you're on your way to lecture at the Science Academy? No, I'm going to school so I can learn a bunch of stuff to be a real boy and make my father proud. A real boy? Why on earth would you want to be real when you can be famous? Famous? Yes, famous! I'm speaking of the theater, bright lights, music, applause, fame. Fame? But I want to be real. Yes, yes, my boy, but did you know many people say that you're not actually real until everybody knows about you? Why, to be famous is to be real. Until then, you're just a nobody. Do you want to be a nobody? No, nobody wants to be a nobody. Everybody who's anybody wants to be a somebody. But my father said I should go to school. Of course he did. All parents say that. But he doesn't recognize your genius. Who needs an education when one has such a personality, such a profile, such a physique? Why, he is a natural-born actor. Right, Gideon? And not just an actor. An entrepreneur. Nay, an influencer. And won't your father be proud? Really? Oh, of course he will. Why, he'll see your name in lights. Lights. Six feet high. Say, what is your name? Pinocchio. Pinocchio. P-I-N-O. Probably a K. Never mind. Too many letters. We need a simple, strong stage name. Slab Oakley. Chad Log? <gasps> I've got it. Chris Pine. Now, it'd never work. We are wasting precious time. Do you want to make your father proud or not? I sure do. Well, then. Okay, I'll be famous. We hired an actor's life for me. A high silk hat and a silver cane. A watch a bolt with a diamond chain. But of course, None of that is what happens, right? Not for Pinocchio, but also not for the prodigal. Instead, the younger son loses everything. The actor's life is not for him after all. <laughs> he's not famous. He's not rich. Instead, he loses everything, and he loses it to Gentiles. Roman citizens, pagan pig owners, complete strangers to the God of Israel. And like for Pinocchio, it seems like everything he's ever wanted, happiness, freedom, independence, but it all turns so sour. The prodigal sells his inheritance to those who are just strangers to the God of Israel. 
And what he does is so reprehensible that the Talmud actually describes a ceremony to deal with the kind of how reprehensible this is. A katsatsa ceremony to punish a Jewish boy who loses the family's inheritance to Gentiles. Here's how it works. If he ever shows up in his village again, then the villagers can fill a large earthenware jug with burned nuts and corn and break it in front of the prodigal himself and shout his name out as loud as they possibly can, pronouncing him cut off from his people forever. After that, he will be a cosmic orphan who might as well go back and live with the pigs after all. The prodigal's only hope apparently is to reach his father before the village reaches him. He has his confession ready. He, he isn't returning home out of love, actually, and, and he won't pretend he is. He is returning home out of hunger. He is, he is returning to apply for a job as a hired hand on what is left of the family's farm. If he can earn enough to pay back what he has lost, then perhaps he can dodge the kitsatsa altogether. Once again, being in relationship is still not on the prodigal's list of priorities. Being in groceries is. Being in a house with a, with a covering over it is. He, so he heads home rehearsing his confession as he goes. He's ready to take the initiative. He is ready for lunch. But someone must have seen him coming and told his father of that news. Because his father is on the lookout for him now. His father sees him while he is still far off, it says, and is filled with compassion. And then his father does one of those things that patriarchs do not do. The father runs to his son, runs so that everyone can see his pale little ankles, runs so that, he, that his robe kind of creates this, this, this flapping action in the breeze, like a mother running to her children, not, not like a patriarch father. He runs and puts his arms around his son and and kisses him right there on the road where everyone in the village can see it. Great men never run in public, is what Aristotle once said. <laughs> the father's flouting of his, his advice, of this advice, may spring from affection, but of course it also springs from protection too, right? If the father can get the son before the village does, then he can save his son from being cut off forever. He can save his relationship with his son and his family's relationship with the village all at the same time. This reconciliation will cost him his honor, his greatness in their eyes, but, but that is a price he's willing to pay. The father runs to greet his son before anyone can treat him like a hired hand ever. And so, yes, he orders them to kill the fatted calf, not a goat or a lamb or a dozen chickens, but a calf, a clear sign that the celebration about to take place is not a quiet family affair, but a roast veal for the entire village. He is saved by being restored to relationship with his father, his family, his clan, his village, who are also saved by the father's willingness to be a really poor patriarch. This is the story as we know it. If there was ever a man who deserved a happy ending, it's, it's this man. It's this God. But as you know, we older brothers always seem to step in, right? No Pinocchio is an only child. But as far as this story is concerned, we are the older brothers, right? We are the older brothers, the good sons. 
who refused to come in the house. And God says, this, this son of mine was dead and the whole village must come watch. Are you ready to come to the party? Would you pray? God, we come to you as older brothers, used to our American uh, way of seeing faith and our American way of seeing this story um, and realizing that that this isn't as much a story about individual repentance because the son doesn't even get a chance to repent. It's a story of, of, what, of what the father can do and what the, and what the community often does And the kind of community you are building, one that always has a place at the table, always leaves room for reconciliation. It's more of a story about, about the village than it is about the one heart. God, we want to be people a part of, of your village, not to set up a katsatsa, and we believe too many people have set up katsatsas in the world. But to, to be people who cheer on the Father as he runs out ahead. We also know that you run toward us, even the older brothers. And you say, even if you won't take a seat, know that there will always be a seat for you. And so if, if there's anyone here today that's feeling like they need a seat at the table and they don't know how to get there, God, I ask that you would move in their hearts to know that you are not a God who, 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 who is about kasatsas and we, you are a God who, who runs out to meet them. If someone needs to hear that today, God, I hope that's the story they hear. We pray this in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.